Okay, uh, our scripture reading is James 5.12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Thank you, Jean. So just one verse out of James 5 today as we're uh, looking at this text. And one of the things that I don't, I don't know if we talked about this, and you may not have noticed it, but I bet some of you have, is that there, in the book of James, there are so many parallels here to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is where we have the, I guess, the fullest recording of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And there's just tons and tons of things that James says that remind us of uh, some of the things that Jesus said in that sermon. And, uh, you know, not a coincidence. Obviously, uh, James is the half-brother of Jesus, and so he would have paid special attention to Jesus' words. But that sermon is reflected in this book in so many different ways. In fact, if you're looking for a homework assignment this week, and uh, I know students, a lot of you have had extra days out of school, so you probably need some extra homework anyway. But that would be good, like, to read through the Sermon on the Mount this week, five, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and, and just think about where we've been in James and think about some of the things that uh, you can recall to mind of some of the things James said that you will hear the echoes of it in Jesus' words, some of those same themes, some of the same uh, content, some, some of the exact same wording. And today's an example of that. And so... Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37, Jesus said these words. And uh, we're in James 5, so you can hold your Bible open to that. And then when we have a satellite verse, something that's in another part of the Bible, we'll usually put those up on the screens for you. Matthew 5, 33, <clears throat> Jesus is teaching here. He says, again, you've heard, it, heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. No oaths. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So you see this parallel, this reflection of there's what Jesus said, and then James is kind of echoing it, and using some of the same exact words about this prohibition to take oaths and to swear, and, to, and, and then the positive side of that. Let your yes be yes. Let that be good enough. Let your no be no. Let your words be true. And so when you look at Jesus saying that in this important sermon when he was teaching, and it recorded for us for all time in Scripture, and then James saying at the same time, you ask the question, what's the big deal here? What's, what's going on? As so you dig a little bit deeper into the content and the context of what's going on, and, and I learned some interesting things, that there was this Old Testament prohibition was basically you shouldn't, you shouldn't take, you shouldn't make a vow that you can't keep. And in the Old Testament, it talks about making that vow in the name of the Lord, and then breaking it. There was a prohibition against that. You shouldn't do that. Well, the Pharisees were, man, they're known for so many different things, but one of the things they're really known for is finding loopholes, but still feeling like they could obey the law. They were legalistic in their righteousness. They wanted to appear righteous, and they wanted to make it appear like they kept the law, but in order to do that, they had to find loopholes all the time, and so they had created a loophole, and they basically said that what the Old Testament meant was that you shouldn't break a vow that you make in the name of the Lord. 
And so they started this practice of making vows, but not attaching it to God's name. And so they would attach it to, I, you know, I swear by heaven, or I swear by the city of Jerusalem, or those kinds of things. And so they would say that that was okay. And then here's what really happened. The byproduct of that was that that, that became, it, it actually became okay to break those vows. It, it became okay. If you didn't attach it to the name of the Lord, and you just swore by heaven, or the city of Jerusalem, whatever, and then you didn't keep that vow, no big deal. Nobody's hurt. So they could call themselves righteous. I fulfill the law. I keep my commitments. I, I, I keep my vows, the ones that really count. And so what you happen is Pharisees and Jews and the people in this culture were, were not known as people of their word. They were not known as people who kept their vows because they had created this loophole that was just absolutely ridiculous on the surface. They created it so that they could get away with doing things and still feel good about themselves. And so that's what... Jesus and James are really talking about. They're, they're talking about, like, Jesus actually says those things specifically. If you, if you swear by heaven, well, guess what? That's the throne of God. God's attached to everything. So you're not, you're not creating a loophole. You're, you're still attaching this to God and his sovereignty and his domain. And so you're still breaking a vow to God. So stop making vows. Stop making these kinds of promises. Instead, here's a different way. Just let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Just what you say, follow through. And that's what we're really talking about today. That's, that's really what the problem is. And that sounds like a contextual thing that the Pharisees dealt with and that that was in their culture and maybe it doesn't have as much relevance to us until we just stop for a second and think about how many times you and I make a statement and follow it up with, oh, and I swear. I swear on my grandmother's grave. I swear on my World War II greatest generation fighting grandfather's grave. And it, all of a sudden we say that and it, we think it gives more credibility, but what it does is takes away the credibility from everything else we say, right? So when I just say, make a statement, if I don't say I swear, I promise, then all of a sudden it's like, well, does this guy ever tell me the truth except those times when he goes crazy with it? Like, do our words mean anything? Does our yes mean yes? Does our no mean no? Ultimately, what James is calling us to is to live a different way of life, to live by a different standard because of whose we are, because we are children of the King and we're called to live by, uh, for His glory and in His image. And so James is calling to us to that. So there's one verse here, and so there's really one point. There's really one main idea that we should get out of this today, and here it is. As Christ followers, we should be people of our word. That's what they're saying. Jesus and James, our Bible's teaching us that as, as followers of Christ, there should be no question inside the church and out that we are people of our word. As Christ followers, we should be people of our word. We should be people that keep commitments. We should be people that when we say something, it matters and people can believe us and they can trust us and there's never a question about it. That as Christ followers, we should be people of our word. And that, that's a simple enough point. It's a simple enough statement to make. It's one verse. We made a point. Let's just close it up and go home, right? Like, okay, start doing better at that. But here's what I'd like to do. They've given me more time than that today. I'd like to dig a little bit deeper and, and maybe like 
try to figure out why we struggle with that. Because as easy as that is to say, for some of us, maybe really all of us at times, it is not that easy to walk that out consistently and be people of our word, especially in our culture today. And so let me ask us a couple questions. The first question, I think I want to just kind of put it out there and then get it out of the way. The first question is, is it ever okay to lie? Is it ever okay to not tell the truth, to lie, to be dishonest? And so with anything else in life, guys, no matter what question it is, I think you go to the Bible as your ultimate source. Uh, there's a lot of different places you can go for, for sources of truth. All truth is God's truth, but let's go to the Bible first. And let me give you a couple pictures from the Bible, a couple stories from the Bible that might shed some light on this, this question, is it ever okay to lie? The first one is in Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, you may remember this story. It's the beginning of the story of Moses and Pharaoh was concerned about the Israelites and how um, strong in number they were becoming and how they were a threat. And so he, he basically issued a decree. He said, hey, I want everybody, like, kill all the baby boys that are born to the Hebrew women. And so that was Pharaoh's way of dealing with the problem. When a baby boy is born to a Hebrew woman, an Israelite woman, I want you to kill him. And he gave that instruction to the midwives. The midwives should kill those women. And in Exodus chapter 1, verse 17, it says, But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So they didn't obey his command first. <clears throat> verse 18, So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Now here's the deal. There's no, there's no reason to assume that was the truth. Because what it, what it told us is that they deliberately disobeyed his command. That they probably were there. We should assume they were there and they did help with the delivery and then they didn't obey his command because they feared the Lord. But when, they at, when he asked them, he said, they answered, hey, well, we weren't there in time. So they're not telling the truth. Verse 20. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. Uh-oh. It looks like they lied, and it was okay. Um, now, God doesn't say he blessed them because they lied. I think if we were honest, we would say he blessed them because they didn't obey the king's order and they spared the children. But they lied in order to cover it up and God still dealt with them well. So there's one example where somebody lied in the Bible and it looks like it was actually okay. There's another story that I think is interesting, Joshua 2. You may be familiar with the story of Rahab who was uh, in Jericho and she welcomed in the spies of the Israelite camp, and then she hid them while uh, people saw that they had come into town, they knew that they had come to visit her, and then she hid them from the people that were looking for them to kill them. Uh, Joshua chapter two, verse four, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, true, she's talking to the guys looking for them, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from, 
And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Overtake them. But she had actually brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So they're actually hiding, and she had just hit them, and then she said, they already left. They're gone. You need to go get them. Rahab, if you know anything about her story, and her, she's got a pretty crazy past, she ends up in the line of Jesus, the lineage of Jesus. God blessed her. She, she's written about in Hebrews in the Hall of Faith chapter, chapter 11, for her faith commended for her act in saving these spies and protecting them. And in order to do that, she lied. So is it ever okay to tell a lie? Here's what I think the Bible might be telling us on that. That in some very extreme circumstances, in a matter of life or death, it might be the option or an option. I'm not saying a guy wouldn't have found another way to protect these guys if they'd have told the truth. Because I don't know. That's all we know is what they did. But maybe in some extreme examples where it's life or death. Um, some of you were here a few weeks ago when we had our friends um, that are being sent as uh, missionary workers to a closed country in the Middle East. And when we introduced them, we used fake names for them. And when they go into that country, they'll be going in on a platform and they won't be called missionaries. And the reason why we do that is to protect their life and to protect their work and protect the company that is sending them in to do that work so that the gospel can go to a people group that has no access to the gospel. And it's an extreme example of a life or death situation to where we say some different things about what they're doing. They will have a platform, they will have a job there, but their ultimate purpose is to go and spread the gospel, but they're going undercover. And it may be the best modern day example of something like that that we see in the Bible. So maybe there's these extreme circumstances where there is an option here for the truth not to be told and God to still honor that, maybe. But let's be honest. That's not why you and I lie. <laughs> I mean, if that's you and that man, I only lie when it's a life and death situation in extreme circumstances, then go ahead and, you know, go on out and have some more coffee. Like, that's not the reason why we lie. That's not the reason why we don't, we struggle keeping our word. That's this, set this over here. This doesn't, like this, this biblical thing that we see here in these extreme situations don't get you out of awkward situations and awkward questions, right? They don't get you out of, hey, did this dress make me look fat? It doesn't get you out of that, right? You figure that out. I don't have a Bible verse for that. You figure out how to answer that. I'm just telling you, that's not the reasons why we lie. The reasons why we lie are to keep ourselves out of trouble. And by the way, you lying for your friend to keep them out of trouble with their parents does not qualify as an extreme life or death situation. Students, everybody, just looking around. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't qualify, no loophole for you. We, we lie to keep ourselves out of trouble. We lie to protect our reputation. 
We lie to win approval. That's, that's the real question we need to ask today is why do we lie? Why? why? Why do we have a hard time being people of our word and speaking the truth all the time in all such circumstances? Because we're avoiding trouble, we're protecting our reputation, we're trying to get approval. So I'll embellish some things, I'll make the story sound a little bit better than it really was because I want the approval of the people that are listening to me. And if I have to, you know, change some of the details and it's not a big deal, right? To get approval, that's why we lie. Now here's something I found really interesting. There's uh, Martin Luther who uh, was the father of the Reformation. He spoke uh, and taught and wrote on this idea that when you, when you break any of the commandments three through 10, you first have broken the first two commandments which deal with idolatry, which deal with the idea of worshiping something other than God in your life. And Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York that uh, we, we do a lot of reading and, and follow him a lot, he has taught on this idea that Martin Luther expounded on way back when and maybe an easier way for us to grasp. And here's what Tim Keller said. He's talking about Martin Luther. Luther said that the Ten Commandments begin with two commandments against idolatry. It's because the fundamental problem in lawbreaking is always idolatry. In other words, we never break the other commandments without first breaking the law against idolatry. Okay, let me, let me unpack that for us. The first two commandments, don't have any other gods, don't worship any other gods, don't have any graven images, no, no idols, right? Keller and Luther are making this point that in order to break any of these other commandments, don't cheat, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't lie, you have to first break that first commandment about not having an idol. So here's what that looks like. When you cheat on your taxes, <clears throat> people outside here, okay, I'm just, it's a hypothetical. Well, if you cheat on your taxes, you're doing that because ultimately you're trusting in something other than God for your security and your welfare. Ultimately, you're valuing and worshiping, and that's what worshiping looks like in day-to-day -day life. It's not bowing down to an idol. It's valuing and treasuring and pursuing and trusting in something more than God. And so we're worshiping and valuing possessions and money more than we are our integrity and more than we are God. So we're putting our faith and trust and our ability to cheat the system and be dishonest in the system over here so that we can have more security and our security should ultimately only come from God. And so we've broken the commandment to have no other gods, nothing else above him in order to compromise in this area. Does that make sense? So when we lie, what we're ultimately doing is we're saying, I need the approval of these people and what they think about me matters more to me than what God thinks about me. I need the approval of these people more than I can rest in the approval that I have from God. That's what lying is. That what we're saying is that I need a, to protect my reputation so that I will say whatever I need to say in order to protect my reputation because I need that and I'm gonna trust in that, my ability to protect my reputation more than I'm gonna just rest in the fact that I'm a child of God, I'm an heir of the kingdom. I, I, 
I've been invited and adopted into his family forever, and so my reputation is secure. I'm his. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about me, but what we do is we misplace that. We misplace our affection. We misplace our devotion. We misplace our worship, and we start thinking, I need this approval, and I need my reputation with this group of people more than that. And so we've broken that first commandment, and that causes us to break that one. So when you really get down to the heart of it, why do we lie? Most often it's a, it's a heart issue. It's an idol issue. It's that we're, we need something that we think we can achieve more than what God has already given us in Christ. That's why we lie. And so the answer to this is that the cure for our dishonesty is the gospel. The cure for dishonesty the only cure for dishonesty is the gospel. Now, if you've been around Crosspoint for a while, you know that we say the gospel's the answer for everything. Anybody tired of that? Don't raise your hand, please. Because, <laughs> I mean, like, we're never going to stop saying it because it's just the truth. Like, the gospel is the answer for everything. The gospel's not just the answer for where you're going to spend eternity. It's the power and wisdom of God for every single day of your life and every single issue that you face, the gospel's what you apply to it. And here's what I'm talking about with this dishonesty thing, the, the, the gospel's a cure for it because in the gospel, what we understand and what we know about the gospel is that Jesus came and he died on a cross for us. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He took our place on the cross. He took the punishment that you and I should have had to take. He paid the penalty for sin that you and I should have had to pay. And because of that, he has chosen us and God has welcomed us in and adopted us into his family forever. And so we have the 100% full approval of God on our lives as his children, not because we earned it, but because Jesus gave it to us as a free gift. So guess what? If I understand the gospel, it frees me up from ever having to really stress out about, am I getting the approval of all the people around me? And every time I'm tempted by that, I got to make sure everybody likes me. I got to make sure if I get approval, I need to run back to remember who Jesus is and what he accomplished for me on the cross and what he did for me. And it sets me free from that. Oh man, I have, I have God's approval. Not because I did anything, but because Jesus did everything for me. That Man, my, my reputation, the Bible says a, a good name is is to be desired, and it's something we should strive for. But ultimately, I'm not trusting in my ability to earn a good reputation or my ability to do everything right or have everybody be able to say good things about me. That's just not going to happen in this world. And so I'm going to continually run back to the gospel and remember that my reputation with him is secure forever eternal. Nothing can snatch me out of his hand. Nothing can take that away that I don't have to stress out about my reputation and worry about if people don't like me because you know what? Jesus has demonstrated his love for me that while I was still a sinner, he died for me on that cross. So whenever we're tempted to lie in order to gain approval or to gain a, a good reputation or to advance our standing somewhere, we have to run back to the cross. We have to run back to Jesus and remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. This is what we call around here, preaching the gospel to yourself and remember and, and say it to yourself. No, 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 I don't need that. It doesn't matter what these people say about me. It doesn't matter what these people think about me because I know what God thinks about me. I know what Jesus thinks about me and that's all that ultimately matters. 
If you can't do that, I'm just telling you, in the days to come in our culture, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, Jesus promised us that people will say bad things about us. Jesus promised his followers that they will persecute you because you're my followers, that they're going to discredit you. They're going to hand you over. Um, That's been going on for the last 2,000 years, and it's just going to continue. And the people that understand the gospel and run back to Jesus are the ones that survive and that can continue to follow and continue on. The cure, the only cure for our dishonesty is the gospel. So that's what James is basically trying to remind us, I think, in his letter and specifically in this verse. And, you know, James says things bluntly and he says things sometimes that, it, 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 let's be honest, sometimes it just comes across a little negative. And so one of the things I like to do is kind of pull out the positive on the other side of that, some of the stuff that sometimes James implies. And I like to give us a better way because James may say, don't do this. But ultimately what he's always pointing us to is there's a better way to live. There's a better way to do this. There's a better way to conduct yourselves in the world. So let me give you some ideas for this better way that James might be hinting at here. First, let's be a people who speak truthfully and live honestly. Let's be people of our word. Let's be people who speak truthfully and live honestly. And guys, that that has a lot of different ways that you can apply that in our lives. That's not just when we're asked questions that we, we, we answer with truth, but it's, it's being real and honest with our struggles. It's being real and honest with the things that we're always tempted to cover up and hide. Uh, you know, Sunday morning is such a tough time sometimes because we have this idea that's completely not a biblical idea that we're supposed to come in here and look like we have it all together. But we don't. None of us do. Some of you had meltdowns on the way here this morning. And it's okay to be honest with our struggles. And it's okay to be honest with our failures. And it's okay to be honest with our weaknesses. And sometimes the world doesn't want what we offer them is because they don't see us living honestly. They see us trying to hide our failures and our struggles and make it look like we have it all together. And they don't think that's real, and so they walk away from it. And we gotta be honest with that. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We say we're not struggling, we say we don't have any faults, right? We're lying. But, verse 9, if we confess our sins, We'll be honest about it. Guess what? God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants us to be honest about everything. You come in here, you, you, you got freedom to be honest with your struggles in this place. We've tried to set that tone from day one. God gives you that freedom. It's not something we came up with. You, you say you have no sin, you say you got it all together, well, you're probably deceiving yourself somewhere. And if you uh, think you might be deceiving yourself, ask your spouse. They'll point it out. Or your best friend. But if you confess that, you know what? God forgives. God wipes it away. He cleanses you from all that. He wants you to confess it. So let's live honestly and speak 
truthfully. It's a better way. Let's be a people who make and keep commitments. Guys, this culture does not lend itself to that statement at all. We've, I worry that we've stopped even understanding what that means anymore. Jesus says, James says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. It means we ought to be saying yes. It, it means we ought to be making commitments. For whatever reason, this culture, we've just given that up. We don't make commitments anymore. You ask people to do something, they're like, oh, I don't know, maybe, I'm not sure, I've got to check my... 14 calendars on my phone. I got to, I don't know. We don't commit to anything anymore. Hold an event and, get, and do an RSVP. Let me know how that goes. In our culture, we don't know how to do this. Why not live by a better way? Why not live by a different standard? Why not be people who make and keep commitments? Let your yes be yes. Let's just talk about engagement here with our body. What we are is a church that views the church very highly. We have a high view of what church ought to be and how you ought to engage this body and how you ought to be present with this body and how you ought to be in community with this body and you ought to be doing life and walking with this body. And that's going to require you and me making commitments and following through on those commitments. That's going to require you scheduling these things that you say are important into the rhythm and routine of your life so that it never becomes a question, which is what we like to do. I don't know if we're going tomorrow because I don't know what we're doing on Saturday. That's how our culture operates. Let's be better. Let's schedule it. My wife is so great about this because a few years ago, she led us and our family to establish some family values. And I know a lot of the women in our church have been through uh, some of the stuff that she actually teaches on that. And the secret to us discipling our kids, and I've said this other times, is that my wife develops the plan and I execute the plays. So I'm like, she's the offensive coordinator, I'm the quarterback. And that's how it works because she's got good ideas. And so we came up with family values and we said, here's the values that we're going to celebrate and reinforce in our family. And we put them in a frame and we put them up in the kitchen and we try to remember to do that. We don't do that perfectly, but we try to do that. But one of the things that we said on there was church and being engaged in a church is going to be a value. And so guess what? Because it's a value, it has to inform all the ways that we do life. So maybe the start is for you to go, what do we value? What is ultimately going to be most important to our family? And then what do we need to change in our life in order to make sure that we're living according to our values? Does this make sense? Jesus said, let your yes be yes. He also said, let your no be no, which means that it's okay to say no. Saying no is better than saying maybe most of the time. Guys, that means that if you say, here's our values, and here's all the opportunities, that you're going to have to say no to some really good things in order to say yes to the best things. I should have put that on the screen. I don't know why I didn't. In order to live out your values, you're going to have to say no to some really good things in order to say yes to the best things that you ultimately value. I mean, 
Guys, there's, there's lots of good things that you can say yes to, and they will fill up your calendar, and they're really, really good things. And I've been down that road. I've chased that. I've, man, I've, I'll just be honest. I've chased that with kids' sports for a long time. And kids' sports, I mean, I am not against them. I like them. I love sports. Sports is one of my love languages. Sports is a good thing that sometimes you have to say no to in order to say yes to the best things. It just is. What do you value? And how many things do you need to say no to so that you can say yes to the things that you ultimately value? Let's be people who make and keep commitments. Let's be a people who teach our children the value of honesty. I mean, guys, we want to raise kids that are honest. We want to raise kids that you can trust. We want to raise kids that everybody else in here can trust. So we need to teach our kids this. And guys, this is taught, but it's even more important if it's caught. Our kids, I think, struggle to be honest and be people who make and keep commitments because they don't see us making and keep, keeping commitments. Do your kids see that in you? Do they see you living by some values and saying no to some things so you can say yes to the things that you value? And they're seeing that so that they understand when I get up and I grow up and I go off, I'm going to probably live by those same values because I've seen it in my parents. I've seen how it works. This is caught by our kids, not just taught. So let's teach them to be honest. Let's teach them this first idea about speaking truthfully and living honestly and being okay to make mistakes. Give your children the freedom and the room to make mistakes while they're under your care and you can train them up in it. It's so tempting for us to not allow our kids to make mistakes and what we're in danger of doing is raising a bunch of Pharisees who hide their sin from us all the time and cover it up with other lies. Give your kids the freedom to do that. Point them to 1 John 1, 8 and 9. God wants you to come to him when you make a mistake and he's gonna, con- he's gonna forgive you and wipe it away. And, and so guess what? Parents, if your kids are honest when they make a mistake, the level of consequences for that should be different than when they try to cover it up. And you figure that out, play that out in your family, but if they come and they, they're, oh, man, I blew it, I made a mistake, I shouldn't have done that. I need to let you know, and they're honest about it. Yeah, consequences are part of it, but those consequences should be different than when they hide it and they lie and you find out from somebody else. It should just happen that way because you're teaching your kids the value of honesty. You're teaching your kids that God always wants you to come to him with your failures, and he never turns away. There'll be consequences. It's just natural, but he will forgive and he will restore. So point your kids to Jesus by parenting them in that way. And you teach your kids the value of honesty. Let's be a people who shine like lights in the world. Let's zoom in way out. What's James talking about? Hey, let's live different. Let's live in such a way that people notice and they see that we're reflecting God's image. We're reflecting his glory. We're shining like the lights of the world that he has called us to be. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, living different, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's the goal. 
And we will live such different lives by different standard because not of our ability to do that, because God's power working through us and us being submissive to his power and obedient to him and following him and relying on him, that we shine like lights and we live a different life in a different way that gives glory to Christ in the midst of a world that desperately needs to see something different. Let's be that people. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your love for us, and I want to thank you for the truth from your word. We know that your word does not return void. It's never empty. As we pray that your word today will take root in our hearts. And that God, it's our response to your word that we would be not just hearers of it that heard us talk about it, and learn some things, but we would be doers of it, that this would change how we, how we act this afternoon. It would change how we talk. It would change how we parent. It would change how we live. It would change how we view the world. You help us be doers of the word, not just hearers. And God, we pray that you would you'd do that for um, your glory and our joy as we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.